Welcome to All Things Erie from Erie, PA. This is Kathy, and I'm your host for this episode, and this is episode 19, February. And if you haven't heard, the groundhog, Punks Tawny Phil, has declared an early spring. Woot woot. If you're anywhere up in this area, you would be thrilled also because it can snow clear into May. So obviously a lot of us are thrilled those who are snowboarders skiers and who enjoy that weather not so much but i however am happy will it be a wet spring that much i don't know from what i read in the almanac it said it was going to be a hot april so my behind will be in my pool that much i do know anywho this particular episode once we hop into it is going to be a little bit of a short one but before we get into that you know our usual housekeeping if you are listening to this as our first episode obviously there are 18 previous episodes plus two minisodes we are on facebook podbean spotify i am on instagram however that is under my name kathy b-r-d-l-y we are on twitter and itunes uh, all things eerie from eerie pa and the eerie part is three e's so by all means go on to any of those platforms look us up download the episodes if you are enjoying them i am so thankful that you are please pass it along to any of your friends that is that enjoys crime dramas murder mysteries or anything like that i'm i'm sticking more to the murder mysteries because people seem to like that more than the the lore and the the ghost stories and things like that i will go through and i will change the synopsis of part of underneath the title excuse me however we have had a few new listeners we have from we had some folks from the uk we now have jersey welcome jersey other than that there hasn't been a whole lot going on i'm trying to keep it that i am downloading either on wednesday or prior to wednesday and keep this all going on time as quickly as I can. So that way this is downloading for those who are returning for this particular podcast, which again, I really appreciate. Now that 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 is out of the way, let's get into this particular episode. This is the murder of Christine Tina Marie Watson. And this happened back in 1966. For Christine, her nickname was Tina, so I will refer to her as Tina. I have to say there really wasn't a whole lot on this particular murder, which was sad since there was a little girl's life that was taken in a very horrible way. They don't describe the actual murder, so I won't be giving a trigger warning. We can hop into this right now this story of christine tina watson and what happened on july 19th 1966 now this is according to the court documents like i said there wasn't a whole lot on tina herself this all was from the court documents about the murderer himself 
not a whole lot, even from newspaper clippings, from what I was able to get. In the summer of July 1966, two children, 10-year-old Christina Tina Watson and 6-year-old Thomas Levis, they were playing near a bridge over Walnut Creek in their rural neighborhood in Erie County. And I actually live near this particular area and I drive right over this bridge and you and now this puts a whole new spin and this area was actually the area that we did the hex hollow murders on anyways back to tina watson now according to thomas a white male of medium build with a slight beard in a white checkered shirt approached and asked them to help catch minnows around the bend in a stream. The man had also offered them chewing gum. Now, I have to say this was a time that wasn't unusual for kids to do this. In today's day and age, kids know better not to do, to go off into that stranger danger, you know, people coming up, walking up to little kids anybody who sees that they know get away from those kids also from what i read it sounded like patterson was kind of known around that area at least there was a guy he was at least known as the guy who did the lawn maintenance for some of the people in the neighborhood after this it certainly changed the attitude in the neighborhood christine had accompanied the man around around a bend in the stream just north of the bridge but thomas had said no. In reading this, I have my question to Thomas would have been, you know, was there something about Patterson himself that made Thomas uneasy that he said no? Or was Patterson really just focused on Christine? And that's why Thomas had said no. Christine's, that's just a personal question that I have when I read this stuff. Christine's sister and a friend, Mary Beth, arrived within minutes seeking Tina since she was late for lunch. I have to, I have to say, when I read an article that was um, done recently in 2019, <clears throat> it stated that Thomas waited an hour to say something to Christine's parents. Two court documents, it stated that Christine's sister and her friend came within minutes, but that was also 22 years later. So how much time did Patterson really have with Christine? That's a question that I have. Is that why he did what he did? Because he panicked. Thomas informed them that Tina had left with a stranger around the bend, and the girls called for Tina and tried to find her in the woods without success. So these are two little girls that are going into the woods. They grew up around there, so they know where all Christine's hiding spots are, and that's where they're focused on. Mary Beth was startled by a man. Now, I want you to keep remember this. He was, she was startled by a man in a red checkered shirt with facial hair and an angry expression who rushed from behind nearby bushes. They heard him depart rapidly from the area in his automobile, tires screeching. The police were called when Tina was not found. Like I said, they would have known where all the hiding spots were. One of the first to arrive was patrolman Hammer. 
and he was the one who discovered the girl, meaning Tina, 300 yards away downstream from the bridge behind a tall bush. I have to say, they, where they were playing was literally across the street from her home. Their home was a converted schoolhouse. So if anybody is listening to this around the Erie area, now when the patrolmen found her by the tall bush and stuff like that, they found her with her throat slashed. And, and it, was, it had been slashed with a, a knife that that knife had never been found. The police secured the area when the coroner was called and when Tina's body was moved, those present observed a six-pointed star toy deputy badge underneath her. The coroner later removed hair and particles from the girl's hand and fingernails. She put up a little, uh, she put up a fight, but the results of the tests that he performed were inconclusive. Police had placed roadblocks in the area to inquire of motorists if they had seen a man or parked automobile near the bridge. Those who did remembered seeing a shiny late model car parked on a dirt berm near the bridge. Based on Mary Beth's description of the man and the description of his automobile was a black late model vehicle. While Patterson was being questioned in a room with numerous plainclothes officers, Thomas identified him positively from behind a glass window stating, yes, that's the man, but his hair is different. He bleached it. The police suspected him, but there was also another suspect. They could not exactly pin it on him, and this went cold. 22 years went by, and what I'm going to read to you are notes of testimony in 1998, because what ended up happening reopened the case. There was a carnival worker that was was suspected of killing eight-year-old girl in another state. Someone from this area went to interview him because they thought, okay, this is this is strange. This is pop, this popped up because that little girl died the exact same way. That person took the little girl from the area, slashed her throat, and left her there. So this reopened this case. And they, when they realized that that person was not the person who killed Tina, then they went back to Patterson. Patterson denied the charges and stated that he had quit his job earlier that morning and had gone fishing with, within a 20-minute drive of the murder scene. In the earlier afternoon, he had cut his hair and shaved. He had also showered and washed his clothes. Later in the afternoon, he went and picked up his wife from work. The police had requested that Patterson give them the clothes he had been wearing earlier that day and sought permission to search his automobile. Patterson consented to the search, but it revealed nothing. Back in 66, they obviously didn't have the forensics that we do now. If there had been just the smallest drop of blood, they would have found it. Back then, they just did not have it, unfortunately. However, a number of people who viewed his automobile that night identified it as identical to the one that had been parked next to the bridge on the day of the murder. Two days later, police obtained fragments of clothing that Patterson had, seen, had been seen burning following the murder in an open field owned by his father. Now, 
when Patterson was questioned, he explained that he burned some of his clothes and old shoes because they were covered with fish blood. That is, that puts you like way up there and on the suspect pool. My ex used to go fishing all the time and he would get nasty, smell nasty. He'd get dirt on his clothes. He'd get fish guts on his clothes. And I'm telling you what, it came out in the wash. He would get crap on his shoes. He had fishing shoes. He would spray them off with a hose. Never in our 15 years of marriage did he ever have to burn anything. So I don't know why this guy felt the need to burn his clothing because he got a little bit of fish guts on it. So that's just me. And that's my experience with having a spouse that fishes. I have to say my ex fished a lot. He would actually come up here to Erie and fish for walleye. So, and perch and whatever. And he did it all the time. So, and he would bring them back, at, at least the perch, not the walleye. But never before did he ever have to burn it, anything. So that, that right there makes you a, a huge suspect. Again, these are notes of testimony in 1989. Five days later, police had used Watson's and Patterson's clothing along with a volunteer dog handler to track the scent of Watson's to the scene of the killing and then tracked Patterson's scent from the bridge to close to the scene. And finally, trial evidence revealed that there was a Reverend Merle Dickinson who previously had been assigned by the court to counsel Patterson after his previous unrelated arrest for indecent exposure. Yes, he had prior incidents for indecent exposure to young girls. Telephoned the police to warn that he would be bringing Patterson to the station since Patterson desired to confess to the murder. But Patterson, he changed his mind. For me, I, I wondered what Patterson said exactly to the Reverend about the murder. Was he there? You know, what did he exactly say about, you know, why he did what he did? And then what made Patterson change his mind turning about turning himself into the police? You know, was it, you know, I can't do that kind of time, whatever. In these notes, it, it explains why the 22-year delay in prosecuting Patterson for Tina Watson's murder. And I just want to note that during this time, back in, 19, or back in 1989, <clears throat> Patterson was out on a $5,000 bond during his trial. And also at this time, Thomas, the, who was six at the time of the murder, he was now 28 back in 1989, and he had moved to Chicago, Illinois. So he had to come back and relive all of that all over again. And they were questioning his memory about what happened when he was six. The record had established that Patterson was, was prosecuted when two events occurred. Another prime suspect 
was involved and a witness suddenly linked Patterson to the toy sheriff badge. Now remember, going back, I said that there was a carnival worker that had killed a little girl somewhere else, but it was exactly the same way that Tina Watson had been killed. He took her somewhere, slashed her throat, and just left her there. Someone from Erie went out, questioned him about Tina Watson. There was no link to Tina Watson. So they, when they came back, they reopened the case here and brought in Patterson. Somebody, a witness here, came forward and linked Patterson to the toy sheriff badge. The court had found no factual support for Patterson or for Patterson's assertion that the delay in bringing him to trial was deliberate or purposeful. Uh, now this is going to be a lot of, I tried to try to make it more layman's terms as possible because whenever you're reading legalese, it can get a little, you're sitting there going, what? The Commonwealth made a reasonable investigation in 1966, but failed to link Patterson to the murder, murder at the scene. The decision to reopen the investigation after elimination of another suspect resulted in a witness recalling that he had noticed a toy badge in Patterson's home and in Patterson's chest pocket on another occasion. At the end of Patterson's trial, he was found guilty of Tina Watson's murder. On February 1st, 1989, the trial court sentenced him to a term of life imprisonment, which is no less than what he deserves. But of course, he's he is allowed to have appeals. He went on to appeal his judgment of sentence to the Superior Court on April 2nd, 1990. The court denied his petition for allowance of appeal on May 23rd, 1991. In 92, Patterson filed a motion for post-conviction relief under Pennsylvania's Post-Conviction Relief Act. A Daniel Braybender Esquire was appointed to represent him. The PCRA court denied Patterson's relief on May 22, 1994. The Superior Court denied his appeal after that. After almost two decades, on December 22, 2011, Patterson filed a second motion. The PCRA, which is the Post-Conviction Relief Act, denied it in January 2012. Patterson then filed an instant petition for a writ of habeas corpus on two claims, one that the court should have changed the venue and second that the court denied him testing for DNA, which he had made during his second PCRA proceeding. But according to respondents, there were no samples available to be tested given the age of the test, which it didn't matter anyway because Patterson missed the timeline in which to file for the petition anyways. The reason why there was another article that was written about Patterson in 2019 was because Patterson died of natural causes at the age of 76 in June of 2019 at the State Correctional Institute at Forest County, where he'd been serving a life sentence for first-degree murder, which is no less than what he deserved. He killed a little girl. He was found guilty. He was allowed to have his appeals, which they were denied. This man was able to still live his life, whether it was, he had 22 years after Christina's murder, where he lived as a free man. And then he was convicted in 1989, and he had to serve out 
his life sentence. In all that time, Christina had nothing. She died. You can't bring it. You cannot bring back someone who died, regardless of if you feel sorry, if you if you could take back what you did. It doesn't matter. She was a child. You played into that child's ability to want to be helpful. The kids after that, once Christine died, their lives changed forever. They were no longer to be able to be carefree. They were no longer to be able to be out like they used to be. They used to be able to just grab their bikes and go down to that little creek and and hunt for minnows or go fishing or whatever. Their parents had to start going with them. They were no longer to go out and have sleepovers in their friends' backyards. Those kids' lives changed because they were not able to catch Christina Watson's murder for 22 years. Not only did he affect Christina's life when he took it and Christina's family, but he affected this whole area at the same time. If it, if it was up to, I do believe, the whole town, I mean, if they had known who it was at the time, it would have made a difference for them if, if, it, if he had been caught, obviously. I mean, that's, that's to say the least. However, I don't know how that anybody's lives would have been changed because you have Christina's friends. I mean, we have people that are lost every day. Your life changes, but to have it taken in such a brutal way, there's, there's no, there's no way that you cannot say that it doesn't change or affect anybody around you. That is my story. I hope you enjoyed it. Like I said, it's usually longer, but there wasn't a whole lot on this particular murder. Surprisingly, you would have thought it was even from the, even, even though it wasn't, there wasn't a whole lot in 1966, but you would have thought there was more from 1989 and on. However, there was not, but that being said, again, I hope you enjoyed if you if you enjoyed this, please let me know. Go to my fa- uh, go to the Facebook page for all theory all things eerie from Eerie PA. Leave us a message if you're on iTunes. Uh, please leave a star rating if you would like to leave a message, ask a question, anything. I greatly appreciate it. I apologize for my voice. I am been fighting some kind of like viral thing over the weekend. I'm pretty sure everybody's been fighting something or other. If you if you have any other questions, I would greatly appreciate leaving a message and I will get back to you as soon as possible. This is Kathy and I'm signing off.